Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Joyce Bertelson received a bachelor's degree in music education with a minor in computer science, along with a master of education from Northern Arizona University. She has served on the board for the Arizona Choral Educators and currently serves as treasurer for the Arizona chapter of the American Choral Directors Association. She is in her 34th year of teaching music education in the Paradise Valley School District. In 2008, she developed the first and only music technology class in the district. Having spent most of her career teaching choral music, Joyce began teaching and curriculum development for PV Online in 2011. In 2013, Joyce made the switch to full-time online teaching. She currently teaches courses in music technology, popular music, electronic music, and AP Music Theory. She also wrote the curriculum for all of the courses she's teaching. Joyce has presented music technology workshops at state conventions and to music education classes at several universities. It is my pleasure to have her on our podcast this week. Well, Joyce, it's great to have you on our show. I believe I first met you probably more than a decade ago when you were teaching in the Paradise Valley schools. Um, but the thing that brought you back into uh, my mind and, and thought, and the thing that I I was like, I have to talk to her about this, is that you have a very unique position. And I remember that started um, probably, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how long ago, um, but I'd love for you to describe, because you're in an online, completely online teaching situation there in Arizona. Maybe you can talk about how you got from being a high school choir music technology teacher to being uh, completely online, which I just find fascinating. Okay. So probably about eight years ago, our district kind of was developing this whole online curriculum or online school. So we have our traditional five high schools, but they wanted to, um, you know, make sure that they were meeting the needs of different types of learners. So um, this online program was sort of in its infancy and they had been offering, you know, more traditional core classes, but the district approached me about offering a music class. And so they said, you know, what do you think it would look like? And they gave them my ideas and uh, kind of put together a, just a, an outline of what I thought a survey of popular music class could look like. So they really liked that and said, hey, let's write a whole semester for that. So that's what I did. And um, so in addition to teaching full-time as the choir director and had a music technology class at the high school, I was uh, teaching online at that time. And so they, you know, it was really starting to build and they said, well, let's add another class. So I, I wrote another semester class. And um, so as that continued to sort of grow, then I decided to phase out of the traditional classroom 
and went completely working online starting in 2013. And so since that time, um, we've added uh, not only the kind of music humanities classes, but uh, some music technology and also AP music theory. So I have so many questions, uh, and I don't think I sent all of them to you in advance. So about that, because so first of all, to make it clear to our listeners, this is not an online program for like the kids who are troubled, who have been expelled. This is, I mean, what kind of, what is the profile of the student that is come, that is taking these online courses? Is it a mix? Is it, I'm just yeah, fascinated it, by that. Yeah, it really is a mix of kids. So we have some kids who are strictly full-time online. So for whatever reason, they can't or don't want to be in a traditional classroom. And it could be kids who maybe they travel, like they're on a traveling hockey team, or we have dancers who are dancing in France or um, modeling in Japan or things like that. So, um, so those might be some of our online kids. Then we have kids who are also taking classes at the traditional high school, but maybe want to take an additional class through us or in place of something they have at the high school. So like for instance, AP Music Theory, none of our kids can take it in a traditional building because with um, numbers the way they are now, you know, you have to have so many kids to make a class and usually they can't get enough kids to make a section of that. So they might take AP Music Theory through us. Oh. Um, so we also might have kids who, like you said, maybe were a little troubled and failed a class early on and need to make it up. But then we'll also have kids who want to accelerate their education. And so they might want to graduate in three years. So in addition to going to school in a building, they're also taking extra classes through us. So it's really a variety of things. And it's, it's really fun to just see all the different types of students that we have. So how many, do you have an idea about how many students are actually enrolled in this online school? So we, um, numbers of students, I don't know exactly, but as far as numbers of courses that are taken each year, it's around 2,000. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, so it's, we're a pretty large um, supplier of online courses for our uh, district students. And it's just the district, it's not for the whole state. Well, we do have some kids who are in other areas of the state, um, but that's not the majority of our okay. students. So I think the other thing, I, I teach a lot of online courses, Joyce, and I, I'm wondering, um, you know, there's either you know, three types of classes. One, one that is online where you're actually like what we're doing right now, meeting mm -hmm. virtually, but mm -hmm. it's live and, you know, in, in person, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the other type, which is completely asynchronous, meaning I post, um, you know, materials and projects and you do it when you can. And then there's the third, which is the hybrid approach, which is a mix of the asynchronous with perhaps maybe a weekly live meeting. How are your, I mean, in a music class, you know, the music idiom specifically, I think probably a lot of listeners will be wondering, how on earth do you do online teaching? So it, what, what is the methodology or how, how are you meeting with the students? So we are an asynchronous program, which provides uh, some challenges for us. So we could have students who start in September, October, maybe even November. Um, so they're all coming in at different times. So um, it makes our teaching rather challenging. So, you know, the, all of the coursework is online for the students. Um, 
they don't particularly have dead due dates that they have to finish, but they are supposed to finish by the end of the semester. So um, when we're designing our curriculum, we have to sort of take that into consideration. So that does make it challenging, like if I want to do collaborative um, works with the students, because they're all at different places. So trying to find ways to do that um, is kind of um, interesting. And, and it's really just a, a challenge of our school overall. Right. And how, how did you learn to do that? Because I, I know, I, I don't think there's a book that says, here's how you teach music online the last time <laughs> I checked. So is it by trial and error? Why don't you walk us through how you were able, I mean, I'm imagining your program's really successful. So how did it get, you know, what were the kind of learning that you did on the fly with, the, with this new type of uh, way of learning? Yeah, it really was just kind of on the fly in a way. I mean, um, when I first got into it, I didn't really know a lot about it. You know, I did a lot of research, but um, I just kind of had in my mind, what could it look like? What do I want the kids to really accomplish? And what am I doing right now in the classroom that I could modify to make it work for the online students? So, um, a lot, you know, a lot of the activities that I would select, you know, I'd, I'd have to really kind of modify, okay, how can they do this in an online setting? So do you make a lot of videos or audio recordings for the students? I do, um, or I find some uh, teachers who have already done some great ones already. Well done. And it's kind of like, <laughs> why reinvent the wheel? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, we do have a lot of videos available for the kids. Um, and, you know, instructions, what I've learned is they have to be so detailed because what I might be thinking in my head isn't the way the students are reading them. So um, I find that, especially early on, I really had to go back and sort of revise how I was writing things to make sure that I was getting the end product that I really wanted. Yeah, that's it. So would you say that the, I mean, obviously the hardest part is writing the course and spending yes. probably, you know, up 100, 200 hours. I know what it's like writing online courses. It takes a ridiculous amount of time mm -hmm. to get it done well. So, you know, after you've put in all that quote unquote sweat equity, do you find that the majority of your time is grading, giving feedback, assessing? Is that, is that how you spend the majority of your day? Probably that, that is the majority, but um, I personally have 17 semester courses that I'm responsible for. I'm not necessarily teaching them all at one time, but because I also do, do uh, um, some computer courses in addition to music. So, um, so I'm responsible to make sure that, you know, those are kept up and if there are things that need to be modified with that, um, I mean, as you well know, technology is constantly changing. So, uh -huh. you know, we have to kind of go in and change some of our courses to keep up with that. And, right. you know, if we have some links that we've linked out to, we need to make sure that those are still working. So that kind of takes a decent amount of my time too. I can imagine. So before we dive into the specifics about what you're actually teaching with, you know, in this kind of new uh, frontier, if you will, of, of uh, online uh, music education at the K-12 level, um, my, I guess my um, final question for you is, what do you like more? Do, do you, do you, did, you know, do you miss being with kids in the classroom? Do you like this? And, and maybe for people wondering, I wonder what it would be like. Why don't you just give us your, you know, your uh, 
personal feedback on, on what you think of the, you know, teaching online? Well, I, I do miss, you know, working with the kids, particularly in the music ensembles and really making music in that regard. Um, I don't miss the schedule of, you know, festivals, competitions, all of those things. You know, my right. husband used to teach me, tease me every January would come around and he'd say, well, okay, I'll see you in April. Right. And, it, you know, I don't miss that. Um, but sometimes I really do long for getting back into the, the whole ensemble. Yes. But, um, but I love, I, I, would, I would say I really am enjoying online now more because it really allows me a whole different creative aspect that I never had before. Um, so it, it's kind of in my wheelhouse, this whole technology thing. And um, so I just really love the challenges that it brings and the problem solving, trying to figure out, hey, this is really great. How can I make this work? Um, so I, I really do enjoy online. Great. And I, I was just thinking while you were talking, Joyce, I keep saying this is the last question, but I have, I, I just find it so fascinating. The, um, you probably have more of a one-on-one -on -one relationship with your students than you did in a traditional classroom, because I would imagine this is very, you know, personal teaching, one student at a time, them submitting work, you giving them feedback. And, and even though you may not be in person, I would imagine that the dialogue, the, you know, the threaded communications, you really get to know the students, even though you may never see them. Yeah, I think that's an accurate statement. Yeah, interesting. Fascinating. All right, so uh, I'll dive into uh, what I said we talk about, which is uh, your, your actual music program. So maybe you could give us uh, an overview of, of, even though you've mentioned a little bit already, the... What, you know, what your music program looks like at PV Online and, um, you know, what is the ultimate goal for those classes? Okay. So we have six different semester courses for music. So we've got the Survey of Popular Music, another one called Rise of Electronic Music that um, it's not like music technology. It's really kind of looking at it from the history of electronic music going all the way back to, um, you know, the early days of like the, um, um, the theremin uh, and uh, yeah, even before that, I just totally lost it. Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah. The big organ thing. Like, I don't know why I can't think the harmonium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so it's kind of tracing electronic music as it has, um, you know, progressed throughout the centuries and, um, you know, all the way into now using, you know, maybe, you know, iPads or DAWs or things like that to create music. So um, then we have our music technology course, which there, they're really more in the creating aspect of music. Mm -hmm. And then um, AP Music Theory, we, you know, offer a full year of that. So, um, you know, our kids are ready to you know, test for um, the AP exam and uh, get prepared for college. So, um, you know, the goals really of, of all the classes that I really kind of look at is, first of all, I want to really, you know, open the minds to the kids about different styles of music, particularly in those um, music appreciation classes. You know, the kids really come in usually just only enjoying one style of music, you know, the current, whether rap, hip hop, things like that. And so to really expose them to different genres and, um, 
so I feel like, you know, it's kind of a major victory at the end of the course if they come out going, oh man, you know, I, I didn't know I really liked jazz as much as I did or, right. you know, some other styles. And, and then I really want the kids to be, um, learn how to be perceptive listeners. So not just to hear the music, but to really know how to listen. And, you know, usually the, by the end of the semester, the kids are telling me that they're now really listening differently to music and they're hearing it and analyzing it in ways that they never did before. So I really feel like that's a major victory. Absolutely. And, and then I think that the third goal I really have with the classes is to give the kids permission to create. Um, so often the kids are really afraid of creating and they think they can't. And so technology has really been the perfect tool to allow them to be successful with this. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I, I really love those goals that you just, uh, if any of my uh, former students at Teachers College heard what you just said, that's basically what I've been saying for years. So you and I are on the same page. I knew, I knew, that, uh, I knew that I liked you, Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so oh, thank you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're more than welcome. So I, I really have to ask how you got into technology full stop. I would imagine, I mean, was it part of your undergraduate? You, you, when I first met you, I was really impressed with how much you knew about technology. So what, what got you started with uh, tech in the music classroom? So, yeah, I kind of did really start thinking about tech technology way back in the day. And I'm, I'm older than you, Jim, but <laughs> um, doing my undergraduate and um, a couple of things I think kind of stick out. For some reason, I don't really know why, but I decided to minor in computer science. Mm. And, you know, that was the day of uh, mainframe computers and punch cards. And so it was a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we also had this one professor in our music department who was kind of cutting edge. He was kind of a unique sort of fellow, but uh, he started, uh, he had a computer and he was one of the theory teachers and he was trying to figure out ways to do theory on like an Apple II computer or something like that. At the right. Time. And I thought that's really interesting. So I, I think those things kind of sparked my interest. And then, you know, once I graduated, personal computers were starting to become a little more prevalent. And so I was just taking all kinds of classes, anything that I could, getting my hands on it, and just kind of grew from there. And then, and how long have you been teaching in total, in teaching music? Um, 34 years. Wow. And so at what point, was it like right away from day one you started with technology or how did you start, you know, bringing it into your music classroom? No, probably I would say about um, eight or nine years after I started teaching. At that time I was teaching junior high. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think maybe I got a, a, a Apple or like the Mac SE at the time. Yep. And um, had one of those stations off in the corner of my classroom and, I would just kind of rotate kids in and out. It, you know, it was kind of basic stuff, maybe just doing some supplemental music theory types of things. And then, um, you know, started to grow from there. Um, by the time I moved to the high school, um, you know, I was doing, uh, you know, even more with it um, and using technology to kind of arrange music for my programs. And then, started you know once GarageBand came out and you know it was just like crazy at that point and um 
you know, using GarageBand to get the kids to compose and we would do these composition projects. They just loved it. And so I, I just kept adding more and more as things kept progressing and getting better and more things were coming out. Yeah, I, rem- I remember when GarageBand came out, I think it was 2004. Um, I remember thinking, finally, there is a product that you don't have to have a degree in computer science to use easily with your kids. Before right. that, in the days of free MIDI, in the days of, you know, even pre-MIDI, it, it was a real kind of, you had to really be into it to integrate technology. And as soon as I saw just that you could make it on a computer, you didn't need an extra card, you didn't need an audio, you know, a really expensive audio interface, because around the same time they made this, um, M-Audio made a mobile pre-USB, which was like a $130 audio interface. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it really opened the doors for me in my own teaching. Um, so, you know, yeah, I hear when you said GarageBand, I was like, yeah, that was the, the moment for me where I just went, that's it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had a lab before then, but it really was a bit of hard work. And mm-hmm. uh, did you teach in a lab in, in, in the high school? That- I did. We had a, a full-blown music technology lab. So we had keyboards. We had some great Mac computers, uh, you know, everything to go along with it. And um, a, a set of iPads to kind of add in with that. So yep. I really felt like I had a wonderful situation there. So interesting. So that'll bring us to the... Um, I know that when we first launched Music First, you were one of our very first customers. Uh, I remember seeing your name going, oh, wow, that's cool, because I'd worked <laughs> with you in, when I was previously at Soundtree. So I'd love yes. to know what what software of ours you're using, maybe why you thought about it, it might be a good fit, and, and how you're using it. So we're using um, four different things right now. Aurelia, Musician, um, Soundtrap, and NoteFlight. Mm-hmm. So Aurelian Musician, we use, I use exclusively for the AP Music Theory kids. Um, you know, ear training is really a challenge when you're doing an online class. Oh, absolutely. So um, Aurelia has been the perfect solution for this. So not only can the students, you know, use it for listening activities, but also for sight singing and rhythm practice. And then, you know, they can, I can, you know, assess them through Aurelia. Um, and then, you know, musician, we just kind of use as a supplemental to what they're learning in their textbooks. And what I found is really great about uh, both of those programs is that, the, is that the kids can practice with them as much as they need. So, you know, if they only need a little bit, that's great. They can just, you know, practice a little. If they need a lot more, um, then they can just do it endlessly. And so, um, that's really beneficial for them, but also it gives them immediate feedback that I can't give them. So, um, you know, that's been a really great, uh, th- both of those have been great tools for that class. And then, um, of course, we use NoteFlight extensively in there also. Um, all of their worksheets for their theory books are all done through NoteFlight. And of course, they're doing composition and things like that with that. Now, are you so, are you using any of the pre-made worksheets, or are you creating all the worksheets on your own? Well, I've done it both ways. So this year, I'm using the pre-made ones. But the first couple of years that we offered AP Music Theory, I created all of them. Yeah, so I, that's <laughs> the same story for me. I mean, and then you see a huge collection, and you kind of go, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and then in the other music classes, we're using Soundtrap and NoteFlight a lot. Um, 
you know, of course, soundtrack they're using, you know, for recording, editing, mixing songs, effects, you know, all the types of things that you traditionally see in a music technology class. Um, and then doing some composition with Note Flight also. So, um, you know, we are really, I, you know, integrating those programs a lot into our um, courses. Right. And so um, you're not using our classroom. So you're, what learning management system are you using? We use Moodle. So that's right. a requirement of our district. And so everything has to be you know, encased in that. Right. So you're basically linking to those assignments for the kids? That is correct, except for Note Flight. Um, they have an LTI that's available. Yep. So we can actually um, do that, you know, right through the course, and that's kind of nice. Oh, that's very good. So um, what, you know, if I can go, so I'm, I'm most interested in about, um, you know, a Railia Musician for AP Theory completely makes sense. They're basically a textbook with all the assessments built in. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. And No Flight is a perfect tool for, uh, theory as well, but I'm really fascinated about the creative side of things and mm -hmm. meeting with students virtually. So m could you walk us through any of the types of projects you do with either NoteFlight or uh, Soundtrap? Right. So with NoteFlight, for example, like one of the early assignments I might use it for in uh, the tech class, it would be just to import a MIDI file into it and get a visualization of what the data is that's being stored. Mm -hmm. So that might be kind of a basic assignment for that. Um, with Soundtrap, you know, there's just a variety of things we're creating where maybe one might be a beatbox assignment. And so they kind of learn about the basics of beatboxing and some of the prominent uh, consonants that they use. And so then they'll record maybe three or four of those consonants just that single consonant, and then they'll piece it together to make them a, a loop. Um, the, you know, they, so they now they have maybe like an eight-bar beatboxing loop, and uh, it's a great uh, assignment for keeping steady beat because, boy, do they learn how important that is with that. Absolutely. I, that's amazing. Very, very cool. Do you um, – do you – you know, music educators are are, are often quite uh, generous in sharing. Do you have any of this stuff posted for other people to see, or is it all part of this closed PV online site? Unfortunately, it is part of that uh, the closed site that's password right. protected. Yeah, yeah. When I was teaching at the high school, I had a website and I had everything out there, but unfortunately, we can't do that now. Yeah, totally, totally makes sense. Do you ever utilize the um, the in Soundtrap? If students have created uh, a lot of MIDI tracks, they can go to the file uh, menu and say export to note flight. Have you ever tried doing that? I haven't yet, but that's something that I actually am going to incorporate next year. This is our first year of using Soundtrap. Last couple years, we've used Soundation. Right. And so I switched over to Soundtrap this year. And um, so I, I know that that is something I can do with it, and I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, so but, what, uh, what are you, interesting uh, question for you, and, and be as honest as possible. What do you think about the differences between the two? I mean, you used Soundation for a while, and now you've switched. What, what do you think of Soundtrap, and how does it compare to Soundation? What I like about Soundtrap more is, um, it's, I think it's just more user-friendly. So especially in the online setting when I'm not right there with the kids 
to be able to really show them everything, um, I think Soundtrap works better for that environment. Yeah, and and do they do the students use the collaborate feature at all at any point? Well, we haven't, and that comes down to this whole asynchronous thing. Got yeah. Um, I wish I could, and I would love to find out a way to be able to do it, but since they're on different projects at different times, uh, that's right. I haven't figured that out. That's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, you can collaborate with the students individually, but right. having the students collaborate with each other in an asynchronous environment, I can imagine. It's just, it's just fascinating to me. And I'm sure the people listening as well who are not used to teaching in that environment. It's just another, as you said, challenge uh, to think about, like, how would I do that? That's really yeah. interesting. Cool. So um, I have a couple more questions for you, Joyce. And I really appreciate the, the time that you're giving us. Um, so I always talk about, um, you know, a lot of people that I've met, I have the privilege of being able to travel around and meet, you know, thousands of music teachers. And, and what I hear almost over and over is the reason that people don't get into technology. It, it used to be that, oh, it's too expensive. And that really is, is gone. It's not, a, it's not a valid argument anymore. There's so mm -hmm. much free stuff and so much low cost that that's not really the case anymore but then the other thing i hear over and over is oh i don't you know i don't know how to use this i don't have any training so what advice would you give i mean you 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 were thinking about computers even when you were in undergrad what what advice would you give to music teachers who are thinking you know where do i go how do i do this you know uh, just yeah what you know pretend i'm a i've never taught with technology before what what advice would you give me well, I'd really encourage people to just start small and not be afraid to ask for help. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something huge. Um, I kind of like to use the example, my hus husband also teaches middle school choir, and he'll be the first to say that technology is not his thing. So a couple years ago, he decided that he wanted to start incorporating sight reading factory into his program. So he just started really small. You know, I would help him out, teach him how to um, you know, change the exercises and um, things like that. And so he would just start with projecting a sight reading factory exercise on the screen in the front of his classroom. And that was, that was the way he started. So then he thought, okay, I could take a little bit bigger step. And so then he progressed to getting student accounts for everybody and now assigns them exercises and assessments to do at home. So it's, it's kind of progressed and he's feeling, you know, much more comfortable with it. So, you know, I would just really encourage people to just start small and there's so many resources out there. I mean, I resource or research all the time to, you know, find different things. There's, you know, like time, for instance, is a great, um, organization that has some wonderful resources out there that I've used over the years. And, you know, of course, just reading blogs and listening to your podcast, for instance, you know, has given me some great ideas. I was listening to the first one that you did with um, Shauna Longo yeah. and she started talking about the makey makeys. And I was like, I haven't heard of this. And so I had to start researching and, you know, the wheels are turning now. How can I use this? But uh, so just, you know, researching online and you know going to workshops and conventions the first thing I do when I go to a convention is I look at the um, technology track yep and I kind of build everything around it and so um, you know just explore but again don't be afraid to ask and just start really small I think sometimes people think 
if they have to do some huge project, but you don't need to. It, it'll grow over time. Right. And would you agree that, that with, the, with the statement that, yeah, it, it, you know, it does, you do have to start small. It, it does take work. It doesn't always work perfectly for you. But that in the end, at least for me, the, the benefits far outweigh any of the uncomfortability that you might have with it. Because in the three things, if I remember correctly, that you said, perceiving music, listening to music, and creating music, mm-hmm. it, to me, technology is such a great vehicle for achieving those goals and it that really with, without technology, it's, it's actually pretty hard. Of course you can have students listen. Um, you know, although you could make the argument, how are they listening to it? It's probably mm-hmm. through technology, but um, you know, the, for me, it was always the creating part that I just said, this, this is just the easiest path of least resistant that is still pedagogically valuable. And it's, you know, you're, you're, you know, the kids are learning uh, and they're creating and it just, it takes away all the barriers that they might've faced without, without it. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I know my students would too. They, you know, they, they love the creating aspect at at the end of every course I have them do a reflection and, you know, the things where they were creating things uh, is by far the projects that they enjoyed the most and, and probably learned the most from. Now, uh, be, before I ask my last question, Joyce, and, and that, that what you just said kind of leads to it is that uh, do these kids, did you ever get, do you ever get to meet them? Is there ever like a, you know, a composer night that where people could come or is it just truly online and they finish when they finish? Cause I would, I mean, I would imagine for you, um, I've taught online courses and then people will come up to me at a conference and say, hi, it's me, it's Rob. And I was like, I, I have no idea who you are. I took your class. And I was like, I still don't know who you are. You know, the, the kind of, you know, what you said earlier, you miss the kids. Do you ever, I mean, do you have it now or do you see that in the future, maybe having some type of in, in-person meeting or, or performance? Well, performance, I hadn't really thought about that, but I do meet with some of my students personally, particularly the AP theory kids. I mm-hmm. like to meet with them at the very beginning of the year, um, you know, because that class obviously is much more challenging academically. And so I like to lay a good foundation for those students. And um, so I do meet them in person. But one component that all of our courses have in our school is that we do a video conference with our students. So early on in the course, um, I actually will do a video chat with every single student. So at least I can put a you know name to the face, and right. you know they could do the same thing. So or a face to the name. Yeah. But, um, so you know we kind of do get a little bit of a meeting that way. Um, so it's not, I don't know, I can't say as I would recognize them on the street, but right, right. Uh, but at exactly. least it's a little bit of something. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you know of the, the old Vermont MIDI project and then now called Music Comp. I'm going up right. in a couple of weeks. And the reason I was thinking is that they do this virtual um, interaction for months and months and months. And then they all come together for one composer's concert where they their pieces are played live. And it's always wonderful to see them interact with the composer mentors who often they haven't met until that day. And they're like, Oh, you're Annie, you know, nice to meet you. And then, and then they, uh, just, I, I'm fascinated by the whole, the whole thing you're doing. Before I ask the last question, I'm sure everyone else has the same one. Do you have to go into 
like a school office building to teach or, do, or, do, or are you able to work from home? I do both. So um, I spend part of my week, um, you know, like a couple days a week in our actual building. And then the rest of the time I can work from home. Yeah, because it, you'll probably agree that music teaching is often a lonely profession and that you don't have, mm-hmm. possibly you don't have another music teacher in the same building, but I can't imagine the isolation if you were teaching school, you know, K-12 music or high school music uh, being home. Although it sounds fascinating or really exciting, I think I would prefer to be in a building with other people. <laughs> like, yeah, I, you know, it, teacher. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is nice to be able to have that camaraderie with the other teachers. Um, one of the things that's nice, though, you know, working from home um, at times is, you know, a lot of our students, they do some of their best work at 12 a.m. So yep. if I happen to be up, then I'll be online and, you know, I can interact with them at that time. So, you know, it's not like in a regular classroom where it might be a, an eight to three kind of job. Um, you know, my hours are very staggered and and irregular and um you know we try and be flexible to meet the needs of the students very cool all right well uh, so my last question for you joyce is uh i I asked it of everybody is the magic wand question and it doesn't have to be about music first it's just maybe music tech in general and i'm really interested for your answer because you know you're in this online world uh if you could wave a magic wand um, and have music tech or music first do something brand new, what would it be? So my answer really is pretty specific to online learning. And that would be that more programs offer LTIs. So it definitely makes it much smoother for me as an online teacher when I can have that LTI and everything is incorporated into our learning management system and we don't have to always go out to something else. So like I said earlier, NoteFlight does have an LTI. I'd love to see it for Soundtrap, Musician, Aurelia, some of those other programs. Yeah, so for our listeners who have no idea what LTI is, it's Learning Tools Interoperability, and it is an API, or really it's the secret sauce that makes one software program talk to Moodle and makes Moodle talk back to that software program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to hear you say that the reason we built Music First Classroom was we wanted one learning management system that all the software could talk to. Um, yeah, so we hear this all the time with things like Moodle and Schoology and Canvas. Mm-hmm. It, it, wor- it works perfectly with Google Classroom, these tools, but um, the other tools, it's a little harder to do. So I'll put that on the list, Joyce, because we've okay. got you're probably the hundredth person uh, <laughs> since January to ask for it. So we'll definitely put on the list. It's just, it's a lot of work and we're just trying to figure yeah. out the best way to do it. But I hear you loud and clear that seamless integration where a student can just click in Moodle and then Aurelia just opens up and they do their work. Yeah. Uh, anybody on my staff that hears this podcast, they'll be having a big smile on their face. <laughs> they all say the same thing to me. But I will say also, and this is probably the thousandth time that you've heard this, is I still would like a way to integrate video with sequencing programs like Soundtrap. Yeah. Uh, That's something I miss from GarageBand. I couldn't agree more. And I, you're, I, in fact, you're not the first person on this podcast series to say that. And I think having talked to Soundtrap and Soundation, I think, um, and, and for anyone else who's listening, why isn't it in there? I think it's harder than it looks. And even though that doesn't seem like it should be, to be able to stream audio with loops and MIDI at the same time as streaming video over Wi-Fi, and for you to always have a what you would consider a, a 
seamless experience where you just click play and it works. It's actually harder than it sounds. Um, and so they uh, both Soundation and Soundtrap have been working on it for years. But it's that, you know, if you're on a, a, a decent Wi-Fi connection and you click play and the music starts stuttering or the video starts stuttering, I think that's what it is. So you're hearing directly from the source, although I can ask them, uh, that, that's what I've been told is that it, it, it's a little bit harder than you would think it is uh, for that, mostly because of Wi-Fi connectivity or internet connectivity. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully one of these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, Joyce, it's, it's absolutely re- great to reconnect with you. I'm, I'm, I think I'm even more fascinated now than I was before uh, <laughs> about, about the position. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening that would love that opportunity to, uh, you know, to maybe take away some of the stress of the performance and the massive commitment in terms of time for your scheduling and allow, you know, some really, I mean, you're, I'm sure that your courses are rich and you've spent a lot of time and, and your years of experience, you know, inform those courses so that they're really tip top. Whereas when you're, when you have those performance commitments, you know, those courses often, at least for me, they were like, oh, God, all right, what am I teaching today? Where I was so worried about the, the band's level of expertise. And then when it came to general music, I mean, even though I really love teaching general music, I'm sure that, you know, if I could have focused on just that, it would have been a whole lot better for everybody. So right. anyway, Joyce, fabulous talking to you. I hope I, I meet you in real life uh, sooner rather than later and see you again, I should say. And uh, well, I really appreciated doing this. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you so much and uh, take care and, and let us keep, keep us in the loop. I'd love to know uh, how things progress. Will do. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.